Blog Talk Radio. All power is to oppress people. African power to an African people and black power. It's your brother, Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party. Independence, Black Talk Radio coming to you again another Monday. Um, and like always, I'm excited to come to our brothers and sisters, our comrades out there. I'm excited and I'm truly blessed to be able to share, to have this opportunity to share some information, to get some feedback and information from you, brothers and sisters. You know how we do. This is a communal program. This is your program. This is the opportunity for you to share, to comment, critique, even if it's criticisms, to offer that so that we can have this exchange and this dialogue. And I'm a firm believer in the mastermind theory that is simply this. Two heads better than one. Where you find collective thought, you find um, solid and more sound solutions to the problems we face as African people here in America. Today's show a great one for me. Um, We're going to be talking a little bit in the program. We're going to be talking with our dear brother, Sekou Sekou, Kambui. Sekou Kambui. Look, I'm... We're going to be talking with dear brother Seiko Kambui, who spent 47 years um, behind enemy lines, incarcerated, was a political prisoner, very active before he went in, active during his time inside, and even more active now, bringing awareness to mass incarceration, political prisoners. And we're going to have an opportunity to discuss with him his take on movement now as compared to, you know, I love to do the comparative studies, as compared to um, the 60s and 70s when he was very active or when the movement was very large, very vibrant, you know, what, what are some of the differences? Why is this important? Because we, we understand that there can be no serious liberation struggle without the people who are participating in that liberation struggle having knowledge of, having knowledge of and um, a connection to their predecessors to the brothers and sisters who preceded them in the struggle and in the fight for freedom and in this fight for self-determination and in this fight to break the shackles and to shake the yokes of oppression and exploitation from around their necks. Their, your, your movement can't be successful. And when I say your movement, I'm talking about our movement, not our organizations, but our movement as a whole collectively with all the organizations. It's impossible for it to be successful if you don't have that connection with your predecessors. That's one of the main reasons it's important. Secondly, it's important that our political prisoners know that we're in the same line, along the same vein, and going in the same direction, fighting the same good fight that they're fighting, and that they haven't been forgotten. I think that too many of us in this day and time think that we are – Starting something new that we that we have discovered something new um, or are going about this. We're the first ones to embark on this endeavor. That we've discovered the liberation struggle. That we've discovered the resistance movement, and we're going to do something. No, you know, we, we're simply what we're doing in a lot of instances and cases is reinventing the wheel, and in most. More times than not, the field that we're reinventing is counterproductive. You know, if anything, we should have learned 
and I want to say mistakes, but learn from the, some of the trials and tribulations of our predecessors. So that's why I am so super stoked and very excited to have um, such a brother of high caliber, a brother who has put in the work, you know, a brother who has not only put in the work but has sacrificed, has been committed and dedicated to this struggle that he has sacrificed and was snatched and was a, was a target. And was a target and a combatant of COINTELPRO to where they said, I don't want to get allotted to his case because I want that brother to have the privilege and honor into going into exactly what happened so that we can really feel and we can get the sensations to the best probability of what the brother went through and how he was and how this they still continue to do some fighters like this today. And the way that they're changing the rules and regulations and going after us in mass numbers and in droves and this whole mass incarceration piece, this uh, from school to prison pipeline, you know, the whole prison industrial complex. This is very real, and I think that uh, a lot of times, and this is not a slander to my uh, comrades out there and, you know, other organizations that we fight along side by side with, but a lot of times if we're not careful – we can get caught into sensationalism. We can really get caught in the whole rhetoric of it all. We can look at these by by us not consulting and talking to our predecessors, those that preceded us in this struggle, those that have sacrificed and committed blood, sweat, and tears, their lives, their very lives, to this struggle. We can see these images and become romantic, adventurous. We can start to begin to think that the images that we see is all that the struggle was about, and we start to um, we start to play dress up, but to try to reenact those moments and those scenes without understanding what in what went into that particular moment, what how that particular scene played out, and why that particular scene was captured the way that it was captured. So these are one of the importance of um, being very close and seeking the advice and consultation of our predecessors, of those who preceded us in the revolutionary struggle. So I am so looking forward to it. I'm going to also, the treat is going to be, well, also since we are talking about um, the prison industrial complex and mass incarceration and those things dealing with uh, juripants and legislation and things of this nature, we're going to be blessed to have in our National Minister of Justice, Dr. Justice, our National Minister of Law and Justice, Dr. Justice, to be co-hosting tonight and um, having an exchange with us. Dr. Justice, your mic is open. Can you hear me? Black Power, sir. How are you? Black Power, I'm well. Thanks for asking. And thank you for joining us tonight and being able to chime in. I know that you're super busy, and uh, we appreciate you co-hosting tonight and look forward to you doing this on other nights and other occasions. It sounds like it go. It sounds like it go. I was wondering if my brother got on yet or if I needed to remind him. Okay. Um, I know I was looking for, what number did you say, a 3-2? Three, 3-3-4. Two? Three, three, okay, I'll tell you what. If our brother is on, our dear brother is on, just press 1 and I can open your mic.
Okay, so we'll hold for we'll hold for our brother for a moment to come on, or if you um, need to call and check. But you know, I'll I'll continue um, with the program and just tell it, just go into a little bit of significance and how vital our freedom fighters have played, and that why it's important for us to grasp understanding and how serious this revolution is, because a lot of our freedom fighters. A lot of the our political captives, <clears throat> a lot of <clears throat> excuse me, are, are are just that political captives and political prisoners. But until we understand the dynamics of that, until we understand the language of that, then they will they will be in prison as civil criminals. Yeah, and the majority of them are in prison for no other than being political dissidents. That they disagree with an oppressive, exploitive political system, and that they have enacted every natural law and every natural right of any living being, any living thing, and, and, and more particularly and specifically human beings and that of people of African descent to fight for termination and self sufficiency. And we have to understand that, and we have to understand what our. Um, Okay, we have to understand what that what that means. We have to know how that translates, because our lack of understanding on this matter has been one of the things that's held us back. Not only our lack of understanding, what I say, what we as African people suffer from, I like to say we suffer from Negro amnesia. That we're so bombarded with trauma, the senseless murders, economic economic exploitation, legislative oppression, you name it, our police repression and violence against us. So we're bombarded that and, and it's coming so frequently and so fast that we don't you know, right when we're done dealing with the addressing the issues of a Mike Brown, we're dealing with an Eric Garner then it goes to we're dealing with someone else and back to back to back to back that we suffer from this Negro. Everything's coming so rapidly that we have short-term memories. So how much so more so for political prisoners? And we become desensitized. We forget that these brothers, our dear brother here, Sekou Kambui, spent 47 years. Some of us comrades are not even that old. I'm before 47 years behind enemy lines, 47 years, that alone, that alone, that type of um, sacrifice alone should uh, entail, that type of sacrifice alone should bring us a level of respect and honor. But what we have to understand is that when that not only brings should bring a level of respect and honor, but also afforded our dear comrade the opportunity to evaluate, to sit back and and look, and so his wisdom and his insight is priceless. His wisdom and insights are priceless. Like I said, brothers and sisters, in order for us to take our movement serious, in order for us to really grasp how profound this 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 struggle for liberation 
is, then we must reconnect with our predecessors, those that preceded us in the struggle, must listen to their wisdom, listen, really listen and feel their wisdoms, learn from it, grow from it, grow from it, digest it, and become it, and be the next wave, be the advancement. Then we will start to understand the power in what we call a protracted struggle. We will start to understand the power in a generational movement. We won't be in the same place like a hamster on a wheel, exerting energy but not going anywhere. It's just simply spinning and spinning and spinning. But we will be a real protracted struggle, a real generational movement. Our predecessors would have put, our predecessors would have explained and given us their wisdom and their insight and that, you know, prayerfully, we don't um, have to repeat that trial and tribulation. But our trials and tribulations should be new ones that we can pass the insight on to the next wave of freedom fighters. But listen, I could go on and on, but without further ado, I believe that we have our dear comrade on, my brother and your brother, Brother Seiko Kambui. Brother Seiko Kambui, your, your, your mic is open. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you pretty good. Yes, sir. Brother, first of all, let me say, man, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you, to be able to have you on our line, to have you on Independence Black Talk Radio with the People's Black Panther Party, and to um, be able to, and what we want to do tonight was just get a beautiful thing, have an opportunity to talk to you, get some of your insight, get some of your wisdom, and address the issues of mass incarceration, our political prisoners, and to have you touch on how you see the, the um, growth, if any, of the movement in this day and time. But before we, before, before we start, for a lot of our listeners who may not be real hip to exactly who you are and what took place, would you go into a little bit about, I did a brief, a little brief something before you came on, but I would like for you to go to a little bit of more of exactly your story. Yeah, I am uh, Seiko Senkei, Tessakiji Mahababi, Kambui. I am a former incarcerated political prisoner, previously incarcerated for 47 years. I was released in June, June 30th, 2014. Since that time, I've been running into some health problems that he, that had been mis- misdiagnosed by the Department of Correction of Alabama. They told me I had developed anemia, but when I got out, I found out that I had had contracted colon cancer. I had a gallbladder-sized tumor. That turned out to be counselors that was in my in my uh, colon, obstructing my bowel movement at my lower intestine, the joining of my lower intestine. So it was removed, but it wasn't removed before it was discovered that cancer had jumped through my lymph nodes into my liver. So I'm now fighting liver cancer, colon, colon liver cancer with chemo and, and other alternative treatments wherever I can locate them at. Um, 
during an episode of release, I traveled the country and different states across the country speaking in behalf of mass incarceration, speaking out against incarcerated people being held hostage too long behind prison walls, especially here in Alabama. Uh, parole authorities' refusal to honor and respect their own laws and release incarcerated people in one-third in our 10 years of their sentence. So they are holding on hostage long and long and long and say they have the discretion to do so when, in fact, they do not have the discretion. The Alabama Parole Authority is written in mandatory language and therefore they are observatory to release those guys in one-third of their sentence or ten years. So I travel across the country seeking out against the speaking out in protest against those treatments and those conditions. And I come through Alabama rallying friends and, and family members of incarcerated people trying to motivate and inspire them to take on the task, take on the responsibility of forming coalitions and protesting in mass numbers of family members and friends the treatment that their loved ones behind prison walls are receiving. I, I, I envision that the only way they're going to get some relief is the family members come out by the thousands, by the thousands, and, and take on the the uh, stance that their loved ones should be free, that their loved yes, ones are being denied freedom. And so I, don't see, I don't see it happening no other way. I don't see nobody paying any attention no other way. The family members and friends of incarcerated people in prisons have got to come out in mass numbers and, and protest and demand, demand changes in the treatment of the laws and how they apply to their loved ones, uh, their failure to release them within the proper time frame. Hmm. And this is and this is something that continues going. So you're saying, like you said, um, the the way to really address this is to have the masses, the fa- the family and friends of um of incarcerated people to come out and address it. What are some of the ways to bring this issue, bring this awareness to the everyday masses of people who may just, for whatever reason, out of apathy or just simply not knowing. Um, how? What are some of the ways that you think that we could bring this awareness to them? Well, some of the ways is that we're going to have to set up opportunities to meet with them in the community. We're going to have to talk to preachers and, and ministers and pastors who have forums set up already to be invited to come into their forum and to speak to the family members and speak to members of the community. Uh, we have to take advantage of opportunities created by community leaders who already exist in the community, form relationships with them and inspire and motivate them to want to come on board and help us set up a forum. You know, radio DJs who like to set up programs and 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 put together concerts and what have you. 
ask them for for speaking time and an opportunity to have part of the floor to uh, engage the people about those things that are relevant to how their loved ones incarcerate. Right. Well, we know from um, just doing looking at your background that you had worked with SNCC, that you had worked with SCLC, and, you know, um, I think they said around the age of 19 with the Panther Party and the uh, provisional government of Republic of New Africa. So we know a lot of those things. But was it, was it your um, incarceration of 47 years that made you realize the issue of mass incarceration should be addressed and dealt with? And what were some of the conditions or some of the things that happened that really made you say, hey, you know what, this has to be, should be one of the things on the forefront of our concerns? Well, it go without saying, you know, you you are while incarcerated, I, I could walk around prison compound, you know. I had organizations behind the walls. We used to bring in the youth to be a part of different events and programs. And so it go without saying, you know, when you look around you and you see all, all of our youth who are incarcerated and you realize that this is not the place that you would prefer them to be. This is not the place that they deserve to be, and that nothing is going on behind prison walls that would enable them to become men. You know, men with a sense of responsibility and duty and obligation to make a better world for us and our people once they are free. You know, they are engaged in gang activities and dealing with drugs and what have you and keeping that life alive inside the prison walls. So it's a challenge always to bring those brothers into into the forum and try to influence them and, and change their thinking about themselves and what their ideals, who they are is, and teach them history of self and knowledge of self and teach them a sense of character, give them a sense of character about themselves, and teach them to know and understand what their role and responsibility is, community behind beyond prison walls, and what they need to do within prison to help themselves to guarantee their their release from prison. So, I know, uh, I'm sorry, Go ahead, Dr. Justice, please. Uh, uh, Brother uh, Sekou, this is Dr. Justice. Um, I was listening to you when you said that uh, the pastors needed to become involved. I know Reverend Daughtry, uh, my pastor, on a regular basis, he goes into the prisons. Um, But as far as coming together to be able to form coalitions to address these situations, because uh, holding somebody past their time, I mean, I, I, you know, I know these folks do what they want to do, so I can't say I don't understand how that takes place. Uh, um, to to be proactive and to bring together these pastors is, is because you know and I know that a lot of times they're not really interested in um, in really putting themselves on the line, so to speak. But um, I'm going to allow uh, Brother Yang to, to – continue to um, interview you, and I'm going to just sit here and I'm, I'm, I'm going to listen to some of the things that you have to say because I think that was very brilliant to form coalitions to put an eye on this because I, I've heard of them holding people past their time. I've heard of it and how 
how they're getting away with it, just not letting these folks go is just incredible to me. Black Power, sir, um, it's an honor. It's an honor to have you on the show. Uh, and um, I'm going to, at this time, I'm going to turn the mic back over to our national chairman, Yang Yin Kuma, Black Power. Black Power. So this, and, 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 and like um, Brother Kambui is saying, man, awareness, participation, community participation, going out to our local leaders, our community leaders, all of those people with any type of influence, and just awareness, period. I'm sure that there are, if we haven't been directly affected by incarceration, then we have been touched by it. We have loved ones, family members, friends of friends. You know, it is such an epidemic, especially in the African community here in America, the black community here in America, that none of us are escaping the effects of it. Um, But one of the things I want to ask you, Brother Kambui, is like you were saying, you were seeing younger and younger brothers come into the the, the penitentiary, come into the system. Did you find a level of consciousness different? I noticed you had said that it's a little more difficult to get these young brothers to really acknowledge or to be aware of who they who they were. Did you see, and you have to do it 47 years, man, you know, did you see the level of consciousness changing amongst the inmates as well as the age, and what do you think the cause and effect of that was or is? You know, prison life is a a pretty, a pretty, pretty story. And so, when you're talking about trying to reach out to the youth and other brothers incarcerated, we used to create programs, you know what I'm saying, and, 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 and bring them in. Sometimes let them do rap and, and, and programs and let them do singing programs, dance programs. And we put together events that took place within the prison system under the uh, umbrella of, of, of the administration, allowing us to work with the youth because they had a problem with the youth themselves. And so anybody working to try to help alleviate stress-provoking stress situations with our youth, they uh, welcome us with open arms. So I had established a history and a reputation of being able to communicate with the youth, the young and the old, and various and sundry different gang organ, uh, factions, you know, across, across the lines of the Bloods and the Crips and the Vice Lords and, and what have you, and the Gangster Disciples and through their assistance and cooperation, we used to put together events that bring in the youth in the prison system as a, as a, as a manner of providing them with some security and protection from an ugly life that they could live if they were outside of the umbrella of our protection. So, yes, it, it's... Easy to observe the, the 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 level of understanding that the vision that is lacking in the youth and the need to work diligently to inspire and motivate them to take on new vision and take on new idea of self and 
want to desire to build character in themselves as men. And so we yeah. work hard to produce that opportunity for them to do just that. And for the most part, you would say that the programs that were um, that that the that you guys were over with the administration was successful in accomplishing its objectives as with the youth. Yes, I left. Yeah. Well, I, I left some functioning when I left. I know uh, when we try to work with the youth before they become incarcerated. Um, They'll demonize the individuals that are trying to work with the youth, the powers that be. If you don't work with them because they have a task force in uh, Newark uh, of clergy, and what? And, and first of all, when you and they ride around with the police department. So if you're riding around with the police department, nobody in no none of those young people in the street are really going to try to deal with you unless they are absolutely desperate. Um, and if you deal with them on your own, then they'll demonize you and make you a part of whatever um, convoluted madness is going on. So um, I'm wondering, um, as a prophylactic, prophylactic before they even get there, what are some of the um, – What I'd like to pick your brain as to what are some of the uh, things that we could do here on the outside to be able to check it before it gets there. You know, a stitch in time saves, what, nine <laughs> – Black power. Right. We go without saying, sister. You have to study the, the 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 land. You have to study the demographics of what you're dealing with, and the kind of people and the kind of mentality, and what are the things that are needed to attract them. You might have to do music programs in order to bring them in. But you might also understand that you have a need to create propaganda. You have to put mm. together practices and news bulletins and, and flood the community with information about how their loved ones are being treated in, in, in prison, how the need for family members to join on together in order to aid and assist in bringing home their loved ones. You have mm. to create create pamphlets and propaganda material and put it out on the streets and flood the community with them. Have meetings in the park. If you can't always persuade certain ministers and preachers, get park time and set up shop, put together a barbecue, a cookout, a hot dog cookout, or whatever, and bring in some musicians and, and have mu- musicians playing music in the park and then set up a platform where people can speak out on the different issues that are relevant to bringing about unity in the community and bringing about a unity of understanding about the need to rally behind family members and friends of people incarcerated and demand their release. Mm. Yeah, that's always, right. that's that's always something to be done. Right on. So let, here I have a question as far as a comparative um, study. When you look at the movement from the 70s, the 60s and the 70s, as far as this wave, this generation of freedom fighters and the movement now, what are some of your critiques and, and criticisms? 
Well, I don't have any critiques, so to speak. You know, they did what they did, and, and, and it was time frame for it, and so they did it. The thing real is that we must carry on. So we must look for methods and means and, and, and develop ideas on how to carry on the fight. The fight yeah. must still be carried on. So it's not a question of whether or not anybody did something right or wrong. The question is the fight must go on. So who's going to step up to the plate and carry on the fight? We ain't got time to be standing around critiquing uh, finding something negative about what somebody did in the past. At least they were doing something. And if they were limited knowledge and didn't understand how to do it in a thorough, more proficient way, then then hopefully those of us who pick up the banner can do it better. Mm -hmm. Well, I I was talking about more or less in 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 this time. You know, um, as far as because yeah, we know we can we we have an opportunity. Like you said, you look hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easy to look back in the past and say, oh, if they'd have done this, they'd have done that. That's nothing. But I'm talking about in this day and time with um, this next wave of freedom fighters taking up the banner of this liberation struggle. What are some some advice you could give us, or some of the things you say, hey, maybe lean a bit? Do you think that we're keeping? Because I get a lot of times when we talk to our predecessors and we talk to the comrades who have sacrificed and, 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 and travailed this path before us. So you get different, um, you know, you get the sentiments are different. So I always like to ask. Yeah, he's the first one that said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a, yeah, yeah, he's the first, that's the, the first one I got. But is there anything that you encourage us to continue to do or some things that you would encourage this wave of freedom fighters, this generation of freedom fighters, to pick up or do a little harder? Yeah, I just told you. That's what I've been talking about throughout the discussion. You have to figure out creating a a forum for yourself. Although we would like to join other community leaders and activists and ask them to allow us to integrate their events and programs and put on a platform to address the issues and relevancy of uniting families behind the need to demand and protest their loved ones being held too long in prison. We have to do that now. We have to develop those thoughts and ideas and and download information off off the Internet. Okay, okay. Put together communication propaganda packets that enable us to teach the people and get them on awareness. There's a lot of historical information on the Internet by other brothers who have been participating in trying to free our political prisoners and free prisoners that are incarcerated much too long. You know, there's documentation already on the Internet that you can use as propaganda to help educate the people in understanding what their role should be and how they should contributing to this in this time to help get the brothers and sisters, the family members and friends incarcerated involved in these things. You can't do it by yourself. You have to bring on the, the con, con, consensus 
of other family members and friends of, of incarcerated people who can sympathize and empathize with their need to have people rather than ever have. Contact right on. people incarcerated and inspire them to develop events and programs inside the prison system. In Alabama, they have what the organization called the Free Alabama Movement who inherited the legacy and responsibility of the organization and the work I was doing behind prison walls. They are working to keep the prison organized and unified around this different issues inside the prison system that they are faced with today. Okay. Okay, and that's the Free Alabama. What is that again? The Free Alabama Movement. The Free Alabama Movement. Yeah. Okay, so creating a creating a platform, creating these forums, you know, brothers and sisters like Brother Kambui is saying, creating these forums to get the community involved and fire it up uh, into it. Man, that is some that is some definitely good advice because this mass incarceration issue is a serious one. You know that we that we're facing. And the thing that are we finding is another question that I had. Are we finding this, the people being held longer than that time? Is this just in Alabama or are we finding this on a national level? Is this a, a phenomenon that's happening all over? Well, I know it's happening in Alabama. I don't know about I imagine it's happening in other parts of the country as well where people should, but you have to study the laws governing uh, how people are sentenced. In Alabama, I know because I studied the laws and governing paroles, and I know that the law is is written in mandatory language requiring the incarcerated person to be home after serving one-third in our 10 years of his sentence. So you have to study the, the laws governing each state to determine the whether or not there are, are a methodology to approach that need to be attacked regarding how long they can be held in prison. And after this is after the awareness is brought to this and the masses of people get behind it, should they go to their um low should they go to their senators or their legislators? How would what's the next move? Like once this is this awareness is, is brought that people are being held longer than their than their time and you got the masses behind it or you you know, you have the protest. What is the next move? Yeah, is it some type protest, of protest before the governor's office. Okay. Yeah, protest okay. the governor's office. Okay. On excellent. On the internet there are pictures of me speaking on the Capitol steps in Alabama, in Montgomery, Alabama. Protesting how the government, state government, is allowing uh, it itself to abuse these people's rights. I have to work to uh, rally, rally to hold legislature's attention in various and sundry counties. Every county got a legislative representative's office in that county. Oh, okay. 
I was wondering, um, Brother um, Tambui, uh, I did. I worked with. Um, I worked it. I worked in. Uh, I did a lot of international law, and with the international law, uh, there are um, avenues that can be taken. You, you and I spoke about that once before regarding uh, human rights law. Uh, if, if have you, if have you, if any folks have gone that route uh, to to alleviate because that's under cruel and unusual punishment um, as far as I'm as far as I know about international law to be holding people and also they spoke about um, uh, solitary confinement how that needs to be shut down so my question is if you or you have known of any people have had any interaction with um, with the with the committee in uh, regarding the United Nations and the genocide and the cruel and unusual punishment and the human rights law. Why? Right. Well, I just recently spoke before the United Nations in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, a little while back, a year or so ago. Uh, and again, since then, twice. Uh, the United Nations sends a committee to the United States and mm-hmm. to cover these issues and allow a forum for the people in the community to bring these issues before them. Mm-hmm. And so you have to go to the United Nations in New York and find out what the schedule is and what the itinerary is and where is the United Nations meeting at and what issues are they uh, are allowing to be brought before them when they are meeting in this country. They, they are ongoing as we speak. Right. Because I understand that if you file a petition uh, regarding uh, prisoners that have been kept longer than they should be, if you file a petition, it does go before a committee. And that committee, that committee then um, will dispatch the people to the facility itself. Uh, that is that is one of the things that one of the things that could be undertaken. Um, yeah, but I, I took know, mine. I don't know. I mm-hmm. took mine before the Department of Justice. Okay. And we have an organization, Equal Justice Initiative, uh, under the leadership of Brian. Brian. I forget his last name right just a minute. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you type in the computer Equal Justice Initiative, I'm sure Brian mm-hmm. come up. But in Alabama, we we petitions and, and and what have you between him and the United Nations, between him and the Department of Justice in America, protesting mm-hmm. the treatment conditions of Alabama prisoners and how they were being treated and I had brothers inside the prisons put together petitions describing how they were being treated and the conditions that they had to live in and put them all together in, in different prisons and submit them to the Department of Justice. And so they're okay. currently up they are currently on the orders from the Department of Justice to 
reform the prison system and reform the parole authorities. And one of the first oh. things they in that in the initiative was to kick me out of the prison system. <laughs> Uh, I guess it was. Um, I I was just wondering how well that worked because whenever I dealt with the Department of Justice, I got little to no no response. Um, as, and let, let me reiterate, little to no response. So it seems like, like Brother Yankton said, it just seems like we 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 like a, a a hamster on a wheel, like we spinning our wheels, not knowing. Uh, what it is that we could do, what's the next step, because we take all of the steps we, we, we take all of the steps that we are supposed to be taking, and the United Nations just adds another facet to what it is that we able we are able to accomplish if folks just knew that it is it is a possibility to utilize the United Nations. Um, and I know that the United Nations also they have monitors and those monitors will come into uh, courtroom and uh, evaluate. And another thing people don't recognize is that you can use international law within your criminal cases. You and I were talking about, um, I, I always wanted to know how do we knock the bottom, Brother Yanker? How do we knock the bottom out of this system? And my thing was, everybody just stop taking pleas. Do you know if everybody stopped taking pleas, how that will backlog the court system? Not only will it backlog them, but it will um, hold them to their to, to to their own premises where you have to be um, arraigned within a certain amount of time, and they 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 and, or they have to let you go. But how is it that we get all these individuals not to take pleas because they be so scared? And believe me, I know about that. <laughs> they be so scared because these folks are talking about giving them uh, uh, time until the oak tree grows to full to. to mature maturation. Um, but again, um, as I said, I've been working with the international law piece, and I think that that, that has seemed to be one of the fundamental aspects of law that people or our people really just don't know too much about and can be educated on. <clears throat> but again, it's, 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 it needs to be ways that we can simplify things Geneva, and I'm trying to figure out why they went to Geneva 
um, is it to just be heard or was it to um, uh, put the United States on, on notice regarding genocide? So these are things that the average person doesn't know is actually happening. Um, and what, if any, is your take on um, the various components that have to do with the, um, the United Nations and the complaint process? And if you've ever used them or know people who have used them. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Brother Tambui? Brother Wood would have to come on. Brother Tambui, I can't hear him. Okay, we this lost, Brother Wood, I got a... Go ahead. Hello? Uh, yeah, we lost Brother Tambui's call dropped. But we can go to Brother Wood. Let's go to Brother Wood. Okay. Hey, I got I got a, a I got a personal thing I want to say in reference to what you were saying, uh, uh, Doctor Justice, in regards to not taking a plea. To where I, I, that's that's very powerful advice, but we got to be extremely careful about that if somebody is dealing with a uh, um, a court appointed attorney. And reason being, yes. I was real young when I was real young in the game as a pastor. This is when I was back in Dallas, like right I want to say a couple of years after I first came on. I was hyped you know, hyped up and, and, and just aggressive. And I used to go sit in in court, in court cases, and I had a partner. You know, this was back when the whole thing where they was really jamming us up for, for, for crack cocaine and raised, you know, a lot of the sentencing on that. But I had a brother who was out on parole as a result of, um, of, of, of selling crack who was actually in a vehicle with a couple of other people who committed a crime. Now, he had nothing to do with the crime they committed, but since he was in a vehicle at the time, they basically took him all down and that, that revoked his parole and they, and they was charging all of them. And as of my advice, I told him not to take a plea. And I was in court the day that they sentenced that brother to 30 years. And, I, oh and, my, and my heart sunk to that. Yeah. He could have took, took, took a plea and been out in two years. But because he followed my advice not to take a plea bargain because he did not commit any crimes, they, the, the judge said she was going to slam the book at him, and she did. And, well, well, and, and to, this, to this day, I'm sad about that situation. He went to trial? He, he, he took it to trial? Yeah, he took it to trial, but he had a court-appointed attorney. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah. My, my point. Um about um, take, taking things to trial because, see, they'll fix the trial so you'll, lose, so you'll blow trial. That much I know. Um, yeah. And, but that was just an idea that I had, you know, to knock the bottom out because somebody said if you don't come to court, uh, they can't, if you choose to come to court, they can't proceed without you. You know, um, how is it that, 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 that we can get a handle on this thing? Because um, that's true. They they will they, they offer you five years probation and if you don't take that they just throw that they throw the book at you like for real and they'll set the trial up so that they can um and 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 it's not and it's not the uh, jury that convicts you it's the judge's instructions to the jury that convicts right. you that's that's right. how people <laughs> don't understand how these police officers keep getting off and they shoot and killing people well because the judge's instructions to the jury is what what gets them off. And that's the thing that people don't say. Then the judges turn around and say, oh, well, it was the jury. But when we're speaking about um, being able to, to brainstorm with ideas on how to get how, how to uh, get folks out of out of prison that's been there past their time, 
uh, like Brother Tambui uh, uh, was saying, you know, like uh, they're, they're, they're not even following their own laws. Just, they're just doing what they want to do. And my thing is the United Nations is an avenue because I did find out about I did find out that uh, you can, you, um, a person can file a complaint. Those people will come to the facility itself. And maybe um, um, maybe he, he, he didn't get that far with it. He said he went through the Department of Justice, and, you know, my brother uh, told me once that he went to the Department of Justice himself, and, and, and they with the equipment, but you have some of these racist states that don't care. You know, um, well, I think that's what the case needs to be. Mm-hmm. One of the things, though, too, man, when we talk about a, a strategy for it all, it, it reminds me of something that Huey P. Newton has said. He said that they were going, and I'm paraphrasing, that they were going after the lumping proletarian, the everyday street brother and sister, and they were organizing them, but they didn't possess the bourgeoisie intelligentsia to organize. Basically, what 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 would break it down, and how I understood it, was that yeah, we're going after the masses of people, but we have to find a way for them to connect with the intelligentsia, not to have this hatred of 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 the intelligentsia because we need the attorneys. We need the attorneys. We need the people with the know how. We need the people that speak legalese. Isn't that what they call it or something? Legal legalese yeah. or something like that. Yeah, but yeah. these attorneys today them. they're not even on your side anymore. Well that's what I mean, but they're you you we need when a movement when a movement is birthed. See that's that's the thing okay. that movement has been redefined. You know what I'm saying? The movement has been redefined more slanted towards black supremacy. It's been more slanted towards um, uh, post-apocalyptic fatalism, you know what I'm saying, survivalism, and, and not a real movement of inclusion. It includes every people of African descent who is conscious of where they came from and the, and the system that holds, that oppresses them. So that you have, see, one of the things that I think that we really don't really look at when we look at the third development panther, a lot of, we look at a lot of the people, they look at the guns, they look at my man, they look at, at how they mobilized the lumping proletarian, especially after they did the, the uh, patrolling the police. So they look at how they mobilized the street masses, but they don't really look at that their officers were from college campuses. They don't really, in Revolutionary Suicide, Huey tells us, Huey says this, he says that they tried it, where they got Stokely Carmichael from and H. Rob Brown, they got them from Stick. And they were yeah. going to make them leaders because they needed a, they needed the people that had the organizational abilities, the administrative abilities. And so the movement back then was all-inclusive. It wasn't just the lump and proletarian. See, now we're focused on the youth and the street tribes and, the, you know what I'm saying, the lump and proletarian, which I'm part of the lumping, but we're so concentrated on getting this certain element that we have vilified the intellectual, the intellectual brothers and sisters who can participate in the revolutionary movement for one reason or another, either because they're trying to be doctors or lawyers or because they go to college because they have a certain job, and I think that that has created such a divide that it's leaving us lopsided. So now when we talk about, like what you're talking about, when he's talking about mass incarceration, and, and like um, Chief War said, 
when we talk about taking pleas and things of this nature. We're so divided. We have an element in the revolutionary movement that has such apathy and such hatred and disdain for the system that anybody even going to schools or remotely looking like they study some of the systems have been put in the camp of the enemy. And I think that we have to be very careful and very selective on who we vilify and who we allow in our ranks. You see what I'm saying? And and, and this mm-hmm. is proof positive that we need one of the things that the third development utilized, and I'm not going to be long-winded because I like what this discussion is going. Um, one of the things that I the, the third development, I will say they utilized, I don't agree with the Marxist-Lenish thing. I don't agree with the multiculturalism so much so. But one of the things they did uh, utilize, and my father will even tell you about his communist attorney, Bill Addison, who was a white man, got him off because he said he had a black man at first, and the brother went in there and was like, man, just do this, do this, this white, do this, and we had already come in with a defeatist attitude. So the white mm-hmm. communist party had these, had these attorneys, you know what I'm saying, and they were really the Panthers. They were leftists. You know what I'm saying? They were so-called revolutionaries or whatever. and So their, their grasp of, Huey's grasp of the mixture between the bourgeoisie intelligentsia and the and the lumping proletarian mixing together I think was brilliant and I think went a long way to their success as, as part of that movement because we are going to need people that can address these legal issues. Well, you know what, Brother Chairman, you're not far from right. I know that, um, you know, myself with my education, a lot of times when when I was, you know, dealing with my comrades or we were getting a discussion, they would tell me just because I went to school, I don't, that don't mean I know what I'm talking about. And I was like, well, what does it mean then? So there is, uh, um, and, and always there's certain, I mean, certain individuals, you on the outside, all of them will stick together. And, I mean, these are your comrades. They'll stick together and, and make you an outsider. So what you're saying is absolutely correct, absolutely correct. Y'all are the only ones I know that never did that. <laughs> but, you know, I'll start in formation, but these, these individuals really have a problem with you when you're educated individual. They, I, I would assume they, they dislike the system so much that um, you, I, if, you, if, if you have some form of education, you are a representation of the system, uh, or or they say, oh, the only thing you know about is white man stuff, you know, things of that nature. But you're absolutely right, Brother Chairman. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know it's something that has has plagued our school system a long time. I can remember I've always had you know the highest grade I completed in the school was A. You know what I'm saying? But my my parents always stressed education and reading, not so much a formal education. But education through life experiences, through reading, through that's why I've been a self determinist from day one. I can always remember it's been self for yourself up by the brute. We are a mighty race. We can do anything we set our mind to. But when I did attend school, I can remember a lot of times I wouldn't really be do my very best because education was synonymous with being white. If you got good grades, it was synonymous with being white. If you spoke a certain way, you were being white or you were trying to be white or you were emulating white people, everything that had anything to do with progression and advancement 
was labeled or was synonymous with being white. And I think that this is something, as we got older, that we carried on and we passed it to our, uh, whether consciously or subconsciously, whether directly or indirectly, kind of passed that sentiment to our children. And it went from being, you know, where our grandparents, when they pushed you to get education, when they pushed you to be a doctor or a lawyer, a lot of times, especially pre-integrationist movement, a lot of times it was because that's what our community needed. We needed doctors. We needed school teachers. We needed lawyers. And these were people, these were the pillars of our, of our community because they gave back to our communities. They would sacrifice their brilliance. They would sacrifice their monies to go and to learn these things, to come back and to give um, to, our, to our communities. Now, I think that when we get the mindset and think that accumulating certain materials and certain possessions equates success, and when we start to, when we do that, then we start to emulate Europeans. We start to become Eurocentric. We start to become white-minded. But we need people who have the ability. We need our youth who have the ability to understand this system, see that we're not going to be able to just shrink away from this system. We're not going to be able to hide in the corner and pretend, close our eyes. You know, it's like the kid playing hide-and-go-seek who closes their eyes and say they can't see me. We have to be careful that we don't fall into this mentality of the people that close our eyes and say that they can't see us because they see you and our apathy will only lend to empowering them. Our lack of involvement, our lack of participating in our own self-determination will only empower them and embolden them to enact more legislation, to do more police repression. This is why we have a Trump. That's right. That's right. This is how Trump is emboldened, so emboldened. To First of all, this is how he was elected. And to feel so emboldened to appoint his cabinet who have known ties to white supremacist movements. They're not even hiding it anymore. And to enact blatant discriminatory racist legislation and have no problem passing it through the Senate and through the Congress because of our apathy to, because of our lack of participation or lack at least, at the very least, lack of awareness of politics and our lack of everything else that it makes us self-determinist, accountable spending, control of our neighborhood. Well, Brother, well, Brother Jim, and I always say, yeah. I always say that um, uh, we are fighting on so many different fronts. It's not just uh, the Zionists. It's not just the Irish. It's not just – it is everybody that has uh, – that get into position. Like um, what I noticed was that a lot of – Judges are Irish. A lot of law enforcement are Irish. And, yes. And from the U- Ukraine. And what I'm noticing is that the trade-off when they come here to be treated like somebody is to make sure that they take part in the oppression of the black man. And so um, we will be kind of fighting. We have no way to be able to, to pinpoint one 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 aspect and be able to go at that because legislation uh was when we were talking to brother Cam Bowie 
the, the, the point that I saw that you were driving towards is what is it that's different now? And in my thought, it is we are now fighting an invisible um, enemy, uh, uh, an evasive, elusive, sinister enemy, and that is legislation. Like you just said, to these a degree. individuals are legis- they to a degree. They are legislating yeah. us. Say, for instance, when the, when the Panthers were doing food programs before and they were doing feeding, they could do that. Now they talk about you got to have a license, so they'll lock you up for feeding people. You know, um, yeah. They, every, everything it is that we did that we did that was um, proactive in our communities once before, they want us to be licensed to be able to do that. And our people, the majority of them are like, oh, licensed? Oh, my gosh, I can't go through that. Or are they cognizant enough to be able to do that? So my, 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 my thing is to be able to simplify a situation with Brother Cam Bowie, bless his heart, because he is extremely sick, family. He is extremely sick. Um, and we'll be hearing more about that a little later when I get his permission to be able to bring that out. But my thing is to be able to simplify going to the United Nations because it's a complicated process for people that don't know. So what is it that we could do to have, like you said, Brother Chairman, to have our people to be proactive in their own well-being? And that's a good idea you had. Let me jump in on this a little bit. Yes, sir. One one of the things I want to say is, is I seem like to me when I was listening uh, with the chairman and and brother Kambui talk, if you kind of combine what the message of both of them, it well, to me it goes back to saying that we have to generate a, a new atmosphere that accommodates the current conditions and current situation. For instance, during his time and during you know back in the sixties and seventies, basically. We were we were dealing with a, a strongly segregated society, whereas now it's integrated in, in a simulated society. But we can still take those same mythologies and those same approaches, but what we have to do now is add to that. And going back to social media, what has happened with social media now, social media has replaced our ability to, to connect with one another uh, on, a, on a local and a, and a face-to-face level. But what social media should, needs to be able to do and what we have to gear it toward is to enhance our ability to connect. So not only do I know my neighbor, but through social media, we also know additional people we can connect with. Whereas social media has replaced our interconnectivity, it, we need to use that to enhance our interconnectivity. So my, my take on that is that we have to work on creating an atmosphere that is conducive to be able to get more and more people Involved, just like how we're talking about how the uh, the the, the lumping and then the uh, intelligentsia don't really work together. Well, there, there's a there's a middle ground that can be met, and I and I kind of consider myself to be the kind of person that came from the middle ground. Give you a case in point a little bit on my background is uh, I grew up in a, a predominantly uh, black neighborhood when I was on up until I, I uh, went to high school. My ninth grade year, I ended up going to a, a, a high school at the time that was predominantly white. But up until then, I was in a straight, black, uh, lower-class neighborhood. And so when I went to high school, it wasn't in my ninth grade years when I really, when I first learned multiplication. And, and it's the same as it was because the, school I, the schools I grew up, grew up in in my youth were basically just babysitting camps because of the curriculum and how thuggish and, and, and stuff that was going on. I remember, I remember in junior high, watching our, our gym coach sell drugs 
to the classmates, the, the fellow classmates, so that they can hustle. I mean, here, here is my gym coach. I'm watching him do drugs and sell drugs to us, you know. And so when I got to high school, I had an eye opener. I was actually embarrassed that I didn't have a, a good, a, 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 a on par education with a ninth grader. And so what happened to me is I became to like education. And and I even I got to the point to where I got uh, embarrassed and got fed up with with sports. So I would skip rallies and things like that in high school because and go hide in the library. So the effect it had on me was I was embarrassed by the fact that this is how I was brought up, and now all of a sudden I really get to see how other children, you know, outside of the black um, majority of black schools are learning. And so from that, I became studious. But I, I didn't become studious. And, you know, I basically started to become studious out of embarrassment. You know, so I kind of see myself as working at middle ground, whereas also mm-hmm. in, in, the, in, in the Panther movement, you know, in my early years, I also came across the same things you did, Sister Justice, to where I would emphasize education and academics and, and would get, you know, uh, shot down a lot of time by, the, by fellow membership and other people in the community. But I, I come to learn, that for the most part, a lot of that is ego. And a lot of times when we're lacking at something psycho, uh, psychologically, we will, you know, shun and, and put down those people that do have it. So as I got older, I developed ways to deal with that. And I think when I go back to what I'm saying about the atmosphere, we got to find ways to con- create a conducive atmosphere that can bring all aspects uh, of our people together because the and problems we're dealing with is, is multifaceted. So we've got to just do it. It's, it's like basically all I can say on this is we have double the amount of work we can do we have, that we have to do until we can bring more people into this. And unfortunately, that's just, that's just really the case because we have to be able to work the, the social media side and the local side and, you know, and the community side. We, have to come, we just have to basically work a lot harder because there's fewer of us from the standpoint that they we're spread out more. So since we're spread out more, we find ourselves, you know, having to cast a larger net. And, and when you cast a larger net, it's going to have, it's gonna have larger holes so more people can escape through that net. So, you know, that's, that's just one of those offsets, but we, we have, that's just basically what it sounds like to me needs to be done. We got to create that atmosphere. And that's the whole, and that's the whole aspect of movement to jump in there with you, chief war. That's the whole aspect of movement. When we look at a movement, a movement consists of, I think that in, in my opinion, of course, um, when movement, a lot of times now is synonymous with organization. The organizations think that they're a movement. And it's not a movement. A movement is a sociological force. It's a, it's a, 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 it's, 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 not, it's psychological. It's emotional. It's a, it's social. It's cultural. It's a phenomenon. So when we look at movements, like you're talking about that atmosphere, a movement in the '70s. You've heard me say time and time before, brothers and sisters, consisted of art, literature, dress. Language. We even created a, a, another dialogue. You dig, black, beautiful. What's happening, baby? It was a whole nother. It was cool. It was hip. It was chic. It was all of those things. And so we have to get come together. And this is the importance of why I like the whole unification idea. Not the unification. Let's get out of this theology. Let's get out of this religious thinking, this cultish thinking. This thing when we talk about unifying, that we're talking about everyone falling under one banner, under one formation, one. Megla organization 
if you will, but all of us unifying in the sense of everyone lending and contributing that particular expertise towards a movement. We look at when you look at um, Dr. Justice brought up a good thing, man, when she was talking about the Irish who had come over here. A excellent movie that I love is that King. What is no Gangs of New York. I don't know if you saw that, that Gangs of New York, and it's based off a real thing. The Irish came over, they were beggar bucks. They were bums, they were filthy, they were nasty, mm-hmm. they were potato munchers. That's right. You know, but one of the and things they, that they, they had that was... They used to also call them the black Irish, because they right. were not wanted just like black blacks weren't. Exactly. But one of the things that they that they did have, I will say that, that they made sure they thoroughly destroyed in the people of African descent over here was a sense of identity and a sense of culture. And with that sense of culture, they developed something called Tammany Hall. And Tammany Hall not only acted as their um, social club where they got together and they discussed things and they dealt with social issues and their being in the new world, but it was also where their politics were addressed. And they weren't afraid to address politics. They weren't afraid. Of, they they infiltrated the police department so greatly in New York that, like you said, it's almost a birthright for people of Irish descent to be police in New York City. That's almost that's their monopoly. That's the right. Damn, they got that on lock because they infiltrated that thing. And us as African people, what we do, we sit back and we blow like the damn wind. We allow them to come up with laws and legislations, and we're always on the reactionary side trying to figure out how the hell we're going to – we're always looking for a damn loophole. When will we sort to get enough power or sort to come together enough? Our whole thing is, like I like what Chief Ward teaches us, and a lot of Chief Ward's lessons are about building and creating that infrastructure, building that infrastructure teaching us valuable tools that will start to, especially our officers in the party, that will enable us to go amongst the masses and to not just inspire and motivate, but give the masses of people realistic and applicable solutions or methods to start to practice self-sufficiency among themselves. See, this is what's going to change the atmosphere. What will change the atmosphere of an African people here in America is when they can start to depend on themselves and can start to see a change. They can start to see things affected in their immediate in in, in, in their immediate life. Enough for the sensationalism. Enough for the rhetoric. Enough for this white man cracker this and that and this is what happened to you. Enough. I'm not saying enough as in that we don't need to know about Kemet and Kushite and the Moites and all of that. That's wonderful. It's excellent. It has its place, but it's just that it has a place. It shouldn't be the place. We as an African people have become so, we get into, like I said, we have this cultish mentality. We're so egotistic, suffer from narcissism. We get the big head, give a nigga a book, he got a big head. And we think that because we've read this book or we've learned a little something, that all of our problems will be wiped away because we know some damn hieroglyphics on the walls of ancient Kemet. That's right. When every day we're facing issues of starvation, malnutrition right here in our communities, 
People are wondering how they're going to keep their lights on. Crime. A lot of it black-on-black crime. Relationship problems. Rent. Immediate issues. So how do we address the, how do we address self-sufficiency? How do we make a people want to be self-determinant? These people have to have the tools to address the day-to-day problems that plague us. As African people, this is what the People's Black Panther Party is about. I can't get up here and get on the podium and scream about this goddamn white man and kill white babies and knock white men out without addressing the day-to-day issues that plague us as a people. We're talking about, realistically here, we're talking about health classes. Our people, health, nutrition, uh, nutrition needs to be addressed. Right here in America, people suffer from malnutrition. It's, it's unbelievable. A lot of these children you ride through when you ride through these low income. I'm going to start coming to these cities where I have chapters, and we're going to take a field trip to the lower income sections of the city, what you call the hood, the ghettos. And I want you to see these babies with their bellies poking out and their navels as big as your pinky fingers. And I want you to understand that a lot of that is malnutrition. We start to ride through these neighborhoods that are dilapidated, that are run down. And a lot of this is due to uh, them not even knowing something as simple as who their alderman is or who their councilman is in that area. And there's money being allocated for these areas since we have such an apathy for politics, since we don't really give a damn about what happens to us as a people, they don't sit in the community meetings and don't know that, listen, 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 brothers and sisters, I'm down here in Atlanta, Georgia. I live in a place um, by called Pine City, where the bluff is. The councilman, the woman is Ivy Young. And monies was allocated by Ivy Young. I live in a neighborhood where houses are run down where crime is rampant, and this money was allocated, and this Negro's building a damn park. And not a park for the babies to play in, but a park because they're building this new dome and new stadium, so he got a park these white boys and white girls can walk through and say it's so scenic, so beautiful over here. But these money got allocated to fix up the hood the roads in the hood, to make sure street lights are working, to tear down some of these dilapidated structures where dope fiends go to smoke and possibly other atrocities happen, rapes and some of, some of the most horrendous crimes that I wouldn't even mention over the air happens in these places. And he's building a damn scenic park probably with a fountain and everything else. Because my people here don't take the time to sit in a city council, sit in a council meeting about their neighborhood. And we'll be the first to complain about an increased police presence in your neighborhood that is targeting you in your neighborhood. They'll hit you with loitering for standing in front of your own damn house. I hey, you Chairman, in your let, own neighborhood. Let me make a point about what you do, the, the conversation you're saying now. A lot of times I've noticed that the majority of our people, the reason why we think that way and why we don't understand that is because we have a a renter's mentality. 
since the majority of our people rent homes or rent apartments, we don't have ownership. And going back to what you talked about, about culture, if as a people we don't have a mentality to, uh, to, of taking ownership of anything, then what do we have to invest in? So we don't even look in, at our, our communities as, as, as our own, as something that we can take ownership into and work toward beautifying or, or, or enhancing or building in terms of infrastructure. Reason being, we have a, a renter's mentality. The majority of our, majority of our people, that's how they live their life. And so subconsciously, how do you get the people to understand the concept of, 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 of land of, 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 of land when they have a, their background is renters? And then if you take the, the low-income housing, the same situation. You have, we have a lot of times generations and generations of our people that grow up in that type of environment. So, again, we have a renter's mentality. And so how do you get renter people that are used to renting to think about land ownership and to take and, and to I, even think about coming together collectively? I could understand that. Well, you know what? And, and, and I agree with you to a degree, and I could understand that to a degree. But when we go through these neighborhoods, some of these same Negroes will kill you about they block. It's my block, homie. <laughs> well, you know what? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, I always have said that uh, when they talk about black people ain't never on time, it, 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 it's always always my contention to evaluate and, and analyze certain uh, cliches. And I always say that black people don't have enough money to be on time. If we got to catch a plane, believe me, we got to wait till our check get clear so that we can go get our clothes out cleaners and go pick out mm-hmm. this, pick up this, that, and the other before we are able to do what we got to do. We ain't got money on hand. And I said that to say this, you know, when it comes to, I know I worked two full-time jobs for over 15 years, and, when they, and, 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 and I really had to push myself to do other things, like run for office and things of that nature. But my point is go, being, having to go to a, a council meeting after you've been at work all day long and then have to get up and go to work again, that's just not working. I guess we're talking about the folks that do absolutely nothing all day long, and guess what? Those people are depressed. So tell me how we pull them up out of that. Black power, gentlemen. Black power. And you're absolutely right. You're absolute, you are absolutely right. I agree with what you're saying, what War saying. But here's my thing, that it has to be a way. If the slaves said that, if Nat Turner said, after working in the field picking cotton all day long, after changing horses right. all day long, I don't have time to sit around and talk about a slave revolt, we'd be in trouble. If Harriet Tubman yes, yes. would have said, yo, I've been doing this all day long, Master put his whip up against my back. Master hit me so hard in the head, I have blackout spells. I don't have time to talk about freeing slaves or running my people through the Underground Railroad. There has to be something there, something in our DNA that has to be enacted. This is the goal of the revolutionary, chore of the revolutionary. This is the task of the revolutionary to spark that DNA cell, to spark that initiative, that incentive, that motivation that says despite all my troubles, despite all these obstacles, despite these hardships, that it must be something in me that says that I have to continue in this liberation struggle. And us as the revolutionaries have to find that thing. Our job becomes uh, uh, that much harder because, like you said, we're taxed, we're tired, we're exhausted. But by us understanding, and this is one of the benefits of having Chief War on there, his understanding of the psychology 
of the African here in America. But us understanding the psychology now means that we have to become the tacticians and the strategists to find ways past these sicknesses and diseases and perversities of the mind that say we can't do what we won't do or this is where I'm going to be stuck at. Because there's just like they program us. Because we've been programmed, like you said, that Reynolds mentality is a programming. You're talking to people who own civilization, taught civilization. Right. And you can still see some of it in our young man, the bravado, when they come and they're claiming hoods and they even can twist their fingers up to reflect the numbers and letters in their neighborhoods. But due to a lot of it, and, and my thing is because there is no future. I guess it does go back to that rhythm mentality, like you said. They don't see the self-worth. They don't see the need to invest in their neighborhood, the need even to invest in themselves a lot of times. So this yeah. is our, this is what we have to do. This is our task. Why should this young man invest in himself? Why should he invest in the cleanup and the betterment of his hood? A lot of things is we have to tie them back to communalism. See, we've lost the neighbor, then left the neighborhood, and all he left was the hood. When the neighbor left, all he left was the hood. So we no longer have neighbors. There's no longer that connection. The neighbors no longer feed us. You no longer eat at the neighbor's house or know the neighbor's name or throw the neighbor's trash away. So now we're just a community of distant, a community of close-knit strangers. See, we don't know each other. So there's, there's no attachment there. And if there's no attachment to the people, then there's definitely no attachment to the property that belongs to the people. We have to get out of this sense of helplessness. Like I said, and I'm always saying, this apathy, this not caring about what happens to us as a people. Like leaves in the wind, whatever law comes, we react to that law, never being proactive, not having these same groups in these neighborhoods. We need CCI, Community Information Centers, CIC, Community Information Centers. We need that neighbor, that person who will be responsible for disseminating the information, for having meetings, like they have these block patrols and community watches, for having meetings, even if it starts out with one or two. How can we affect the change in our media community? These type of things, getting involved, getting the parents to go to PTAs, even if we have to do carpooling, passing out things for the schools when they have PTA meetings, or if we're the only parents showing up, going around getting petitions for the, for the other parents' side. If we only one went to the PTA meeting, we have to start to become informed and an informed people becoming empowered people. We're ill-informed. And when we are informed, by the time we're informed, it's usually from some capitalist propaganda system called the news. You better talk about it, Brother Chandler. We have to inform ourselves. And then after being informed, we have to be motivated to action. And it's not going to be an overnight Miracle. It's not going to happen overnight. They didn't put us, they didn't niggerize us overnight. So to deniggerize us, to exercise this niggerism 
out of the African man and woman here in America is going to be a process. Revolution is a process. It's not an event. It is an ongoing, continuous thing. Tedious as hell. It's tedious as hell because our people have suffered tremendously and are continually, continuously suffering. So the question remains, us as revolutionaries, what do we do? And in our doing it, how do we, this is why not only do we go out and motivate the mass of people, but why we need one another. I need my comrades, my central committee, whom I'm the craziest about. I think I have, and you've heard me say this, I know emphatically I got one of the coldest central committees in the movement out of any organization. I'm willing to put everything on it from just their experience and their expertise and their know-how and their commitment and dedication. And this is needed because we go through those revolutionary lows of downtime, oppression even a lot of times, feeling like that our efforts are going uh, unanswered. We get exhausted. We become fatigued. Mm -hmm. But having these comrades to lean on, to constantly build you back up and boost you back up and to help you reaffirm your commitment to the struggle of your people is vital. So that's the other half of a good, strong organization pushing a solid movement and reaching across the line. Objective number one in the nine local objectives to build a strong black power movement, and we need that. So this movement, we're always trying to find ways to create a movement in a stagnant people. Our people have become stagnant. Like the brother said, I love that. He said we have a rentless mentality. Then that means what that means is then we should start looking at maybe investment clubs to start buying up some of these homes in our community that are dirt cheap and finding a group of brothers and sisters, maybe single brothers, single sisters, whatever, to start to fix these homes up and allow those homes to belong to them, to the people. Call it a people's home. I don't care. Let them start to take, you know, and they're putting their pennies in an investment bank, and once the community starts to invest, the community buy that house. That, that house belongs to the community. We just have to be those people that get them to bite into the vision, and not everyone's going to buy the vision. It's too long. Too much like work. It's too much like responsibility. It's too much like commitment and dedication. Those very things that the average man in America seems to be a lot of times running from. But these are characteristics, these are virtues that have to be implemented and instilled back in the African community again. There's no way around it. The revolution is all that is right and exact. Everything that is moral and good, the revolution consists of. And those things that are moral, good, and right and exact, you you must follow. A, it's a rocky road. It's a hard road to the, uh, uh, seldom travel. That's the road that's right and exact and moral and upright. Not everyone takes that path. It's the high ground. We want the, you know, us as African people, we feel like 
that we work, whether it's conscious or, or, or unconscious, subconscious, for whatever reason, we we become a dependent people on everybody. We even get to the point where we feel like we will. I've heard people say that, that damn uh, government programs are reparations. They owe me this. It's reparations. Nigga, how? We have to be careful. This is that type of thinking that has plagued us as a people. And so we begin to think that we're owed something. We're owed something. I do believe in reparations. We are owed something. But I don't think that they're going to give it to us. And I don't think demanding it is going to be sufficient. That once we become an independent people standing on our own too, then they will have to reckon with us. But as it stands right now, us divided, us still trying to assimilate, us still buying into an American dream, us still being separate, there's nothing to reckon with. We will always be part of a capitalist system. We will always be the exploited. We will always be the downtrodden. The foreigners coming over here to build up their economic empires and build their nations will always build stores in your community. And we key, key, key in their face. Yeah, what's happening, brother? Like they're your goddamn friend. You a nigger. That's what you are. You a nigger. And you're not even moved, even if we don't have the economic strength to do our own thing. At the very least, at the very least, we should be moved. Our soul should be stirred by having to spend continuously, day in, day out, with people who don't look like you, don't share your same interests, and could give a damn about how you live. Your community. Shit. In most instances, these farmers in your community are doing more crime than you're doing. They're giving you cash for food stamps. They're selling loose cigarettes, amongst other things. And we think they just the hippest, the coolest. I can go in and get right. cash for my food stamps. I bet he do. I bet he do. The same thing that if a black person did to you, you'd be all kind of dog niggas. You love your oppressor. Can't turn my stomach. We sit here, we don't even get illegal pennies no more. Candy Lady used to sell the loose cigarettes. Now he in his store selling loose cigarettes, and if you say something to the foreigner, you got to fight some Negro. About the foreigner, he exploits our women, makes advances and passes at our women. You can't even see his woman. His woman's so covered, he got every bed cheat in the house wrapped around her. Can't even look at her. He don't even let his woman in the store. And if she's in the store, it's 20 of them in the store with her. And your woman coming in, he's baby. Hey, baby. Hey, who, baby. You think it's cute. It's funny. That's right, sir. That is right. I've seen that in North Carolina. And I was I was appalled. It was a white dude oh, calling everybody they in the chicken shack baby. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Go home to Cleveland, the Adams are doing it. Cats broke to the sides. They super hip when they in there with you, buffooning and clowning. Yes, my nigga. Yes, my nigga. That's right. You're the black man, the niggas. Buffooning and clowning. But Ahmed, you with his community, he's the best Muslim in the community. He sell you the very thing that he wouldn't even bring in his community. He called it chama, meaning alcohol, chanzir, 
swine, pornographic material, cigarettes, everything that he wouldn't have in his community. Go in the store in his community. You won't go in that Arab community in Dearborn, Michigan. Go in that Arab community in Cleveland. You won't find a liquor store. You'll find magic after magic, bookstore, clothing store, grocery store. Every store but a liquor store. He don't have hookah shops and tobacco shops and all that stuff in his community. It's in your community. And you're the biggest and we're the biggest consumers of it, and we don't even get the money of it. It's like I say to tell the sisters, same thing with the black hair care products. Everybody in a piece of your head but you. And you're not moved. You're not stirred by it. But an exploited people beat down. We have to be, it is a small thing. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one footstep. We want these miraculous, we want the revolution, we want to be free, but we won't free our own ass. We want revolution, but resistance starts within us, and we won't resist our base desires, our lower nature. We won't be accountable with our spending. That's all I'm asking black people, African people. Just be accountable. Do some research. That's all I'm asking. Let's do the research on who we're spending money with. We can start out something that simple. And let us boycott the companies, not spend money with the companies who participate in atrocities in Africa or maybe who made a fortune in the peddling of human flesh known as the Maafa, that transatlantic slave trade. Let's, let's start there. I don't care if they're black, white, whatever. Start there. But we want to start everywhere else. We want to march up and down the street with guns. We want to argue with a brother or sister about what God they worship, how they dress, whether they eat swine or don't eat swine. And all the while, we're still going to spend with the same people. You know the best, son? Well, thank you for the hug, brother. And all the while, we're spending the, that dollar. Though we argue and debate with one another, the Jew versus the Muslim, the Muslim versus the Christian, and at the end of the day, all three of them in Kentucky Fried Chicken. Still spending their dollar with the same oppressor. Then we didn't just argue with one another. So it's simple things. And this is what the People's Black Panther Party is about. And jump in, Dr. Justice or um, Chief War, or if anyone listening wants to press one and get in. This is our radio station. It's an opportunity for all of us to speak, our views and opinions. This is what it's going to take. The People's Black Panther Party is an African communalist party. We believe in the collective good. We believe in the collective works. We believe that together we will start to come up with solutions, solid solutions to the problems that affect all of us as a people. There's no individualism. That is the biggest farce that this European has given us, that there is some individualism. There's no individualism. I think, what's that brother's name? Henry Gates, I believe his name is, that proved that the brother goes all around the world. He's internationally known. See him on television doing the um, tours of Africa, 
and and all of these wonderful things. He's a professor. He's an intellectual. And he locked himself out of his house and was trying to get in, and he was a nigger. I bet that's what he was that day when the police rolled up. Hey, nigger, don't care about you being a professor. You were a nigger in the, in the neighborhood that they don't feel like niggers should be in, trying to get in the house. So it's your home. You locked yourself out. I'm going through the window trying to get my own house. Okay, nigger, let's see some ID. So individualism is the biggest farce that this European has sold us. That we, that we, we somehow uh, are better than one another. That if I separate myself, if I wear a Brooks Brothers suit, or if I speak a certain way, or if my credentials, my master's degree, listen well, you know to what I'm telling you, my master's degree, that degree that math has said that I have so earned, maybe if it comes from one of their prestigious uh, colleges. Harvard, Yale, I'm a Yale man. Then I will have made it and I will be accepted into that society, but on any given night, the wrong night, with the wrong police officer, you can be pulled over, that can be the end of your life, because you're black. Your struggle is not separated from the struggle of the brother on the corner with the hat turned to the back and the pants hanging below his waist. It's not separated. So it's only to your betterment as a race of people advocate, not criticize our young people, our poor people, our people with less pay, less income, who don't live in maybe the nicer places and areas or slightly educated or a little less educated people, not that we criticize and ostracize and look down on them, but that we find ways to incorporate all of our struggle together as a people. And don't tell me it can't be done. I've seen it done too many times. I've seen people come with the same conditions. Look at the Hispanic people. Look at the Hispanic people. All of them didn't speak Spanish. They were conquered people, colonized people by the conquistadors, the Spaniards. They came and conquered and colonized and enslaved these people. And when they shook the the shackles and the yokes of slaves and oppression off of them, but still had what? Their slave masters language, Spanish language. And they had marred in and mixed in even some of their colonizers or enslavers' cultural traits or cultural uh, ways into their being. The Azteca no longer were the Azteca. The Inca were no longer the Inca. They became Mexicans. They colonized people. And they shook the, the yokes of oppression off of them and enslavement off of them. And still... Even with all of that, they can still find a way to unify, put them together. You've heard me say this before. You can put an El Salvadorian, a Venezuelan, a Mexican, a Puerto Rican. They don't like each other when they're all amongst their own. Put those four with, with some niggas, with some black people, some African people. They'll be speaking Spanish about your ass. Oh, they'll be talking about you in the language of the oppressor. So don't tell me that a religion will keep us divided. Don't tell me 
that because I live on this side of town and you live on that side of town, we'll be divided. Most of us studious people have read Willie Lynch, but that just shows me that that's all we have done is read Willie Lynch, and we haven't studied the Willie Lynch letter. Some say, well, that wasn't a real letter. Regardless, real or not, the principle is the same. The division based on nothing. Based on nothing. We're divided based on nothing when we have more in common than not. We have the same shared common experience, exploitation, oppression, and domestic terrorism. Yes, yes, we're being terrorized. How many of you, brother, you can't tell me? I'm not going for it, especially if you're a black man. I don't know. Maybe even you sisters know, after Sandra Bland, that when the blue lights whip in your rear view, something, the first word out your mouth ain't damn. Damn. Because you're people that this could be the last moment of your life, that we have to raise our children to be submissive and Chip, take your hoodie off. I got to raise my boys when they go somewhere into a building. Take your hoodie off. Make eye contact. Don't do this. Don't. Because this may be the, you may get murdered. You could be murdered by a people who my taxpayers, my tax dollars pay. A society, a state that they say you belong to, you could be murdered in the street. All the more reason to take initiative. All the more reason for us to push for self-sufficiency and self-determination, man. It's it's ridiculous. And we can do it. We can do it. The revolutionary knows that victory is a short to us. It's that's it, it's no, it's not simple, but it's there. It's there. I'm sure many a night. I'm sure many a night under the weight of shackles and chains under a full moon the wailing and groaning the pain and the agony of being worked all day the sweat, the stench of men and women next to you the hardships of slavery I'm sure many a night that our forefathers and our, our predecessors and our ancestors didn't know they could make it. They cried out, Lord, 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 Lord. Feel they could make it, but it was something in them, that spirit, that revolutionary spirit that would just whisper from deep within the depths and tell them, don't give up. And some of them couldn't take it so much they would jump up and run. Follow the North Star. Some of them would fight, and they'd kill that master. But it was never the whole in the masses of the African people in America that submitted to this oppressive way of life that was put on them. And this is what the revolutionaries say, that we all we are the descendants of those ancestors. We have a quickening of the spirit that we can't sit, we can't be comfortable with not just us being free, but all of our people, and that it is a duty. In fact, it is a sacred, a sacred obligation and responsibility 
to come and try to free as many of the masses of the people as I can. Hey, Harriet Tubman, I'll keep coming back for more of my people. And like she said, I'd free many more if they only knew they were slaves. We're not going to get everyone. But our job is to present the solutions out there for our brothers and sisters, for them to bite hold. But they must be practical solutions. Our people are tired, so tired. We're tired of rhetoric and sensationalism. Hell, we're tired. We're tired of the empty promises. We're tired of the smoke and mirrors. We need solutions that address our everyday problems. We need solutions that give us back a sense of self-worth and identity that um, promotes strength and courage. This is what we're, our souls are yearning for. This is what we're crying after. This is what we as the People's Black Panther Party will offer. Because this is what's needed. This is the very thing that is, this is the very thing that's needed. So I encourage to do that. But And, and we got nine minutes. Let us give out because I don't have it on and I was going to write it down. Chief of Staff War. Are you there, brother? Yeah, brother, I'm still here. Yes, sir. Can you give us the number? Get at us. People's Black Panther Party on our national line. Brother, could you give us the number? It's 888-595-7277. That's right. Get at us. Call us. See what we're about. See how, even if it's just to check us out, and if you're interested in being a representative in your area, to continue the work that we're trying to do. Like I said, we're not, I'm not going to sit here and play with you. We're not no miracle workers. Ain't nothing going to happen overnight. We don't have all the answers. We don't jump out. We're not the, the Black Red Cross. We're looking for the participation of every brother and sister to commit to their own liberation. We're looking for you, brothers and sisters, to commit to your own self-determination and to bring some ideas, to bring some of that energy. We're telling you to get up, black people. We're telling you to get up, get up and stand with some brothers and sisters said that we're willing to stand with you. And we'll stand for you if you can't stand, but if you have the strength, to muster, and even if that strength is as small as, like they say, a mustard seed, then stand up. If you can't stand up, then sit up. If you can't sit up, then hold your finger up. If you can't do that, then blink three times, shit. Whatever you do, participate in your own self-determination. This is the only way that we'll pull through, and that collectively. That's collectively, like I said before, the individualism amongst African people is a farce. 
There is no such thing as individualism. They don't look at you to be an individual, so stop looking at yourself as being an individual. Stop trying to divorce yourself from your African self. You want to be everything but. And I can understand that. I can understand how it would be so much simpler to be anything but a black man or a black woman here in America. While we're at the bottom of the totem, we're the most exploited, the most mishandled, the most oppressed. I don't think we, in, in, not just in America, in the, in the world, in the world, and a lot of it is because we have laid down. We've laid down. I don't know the reason. Maybe we're tired. Psychologically, we've been conditioned to do that. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. But now it is time for us to find reasons and find the inspiration and to find that thing deep within us that encourages us to stand up. Stand up. To stop the division and stop arguing with one another and to stand up and create a movement, that's my challenge. That is the challenge of the people, one of the, one of the challenges of the People's Black Panther Party. Like it is one of our objectives, one of our nine local objectives, aims, goals, missions, visions, objectives, is to create a black power movement. So call us. Even if you're not looking to be a part of the People's Party, but if you're a part looking to be a part of this movement to help us to start a movement, whether you're a poet, a writer, an actor, a singer, a seamstress, a teacher, a doctor, whatever, we're trying to create a movement of self-determination, self-sufficiency, self-awareness, self-worth. And the only way to create this is to create a society that is moving. That's why it's called movement, that all of us is moving in this direction. And we can find many things. We African people here in America, there's a million and one things we differ about. Some of us tall, some of us skinny, some of us are light-complected, some of us are dark-complected. Some of us have curly hair, some of us have straight hair. We can find many things to argue about what we what's different. But in my thing, this is what we should be celebrating, that we are a new African experience that despite what was thrown our way, despite what was put on top of us, we emerged, we survived, and we will thrive. I told you victory has assured us. Why, right? it's, it's, it's simple. It's the, it's, 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 it's the law of righteousness. You can't do people a certain way and not expect these people to rise, and when these people rise, whom you oppressed and whom you suppressed and stomped down on, when these people rise, they rise mighty. Oh, the same tricks don't work. Oh, you have to come a lot better, a lot harder, a lot faster, because these new people are more ferocious. And that's what you find. You find this new age revolutionary, this new revolutionary, more ferocious and more wowy. Oh, yes, he's wily. He is wily, crafty, 
intelligent. A new age revolutionary. It is our time, brothers and sisters. It's our time. That and get out here to the masses, to the loving proletarian, to the everyday brother and sister. Look him in the eye and tell him, now it is your time. The only thing that can hold you back is you. No damn Trump can't hold you back. Why, you've seen the likes are better than that, worse than that, coming at you. That can't hold you back. Let that be fuel for your motivation. Let that motivate you. Let that inspire you to take control of your destiny. That's all that should do. You are a new creature. Highly evolved, ready to be trained. You're an angry creature, but not an angry, irrational creature. You're an angry creature that is calculating, that is cunning, that has a vision, that has a destiny, and that you can taste it. And you want it. You want it. I feel it coming through the I can feel it. I know you want it because it's long overdue. Your ancestors are inside of you rising up. And you can feel them talking to you, stirring your soul. Oh, brothers and sisters, we could go on and on. And I thank you for listening in and chiming in. It's your PSG, your chairman, Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party. You can check us out at People's Black Panther Party at Gmail. Chief War, one more time with the number. And I should have wrote it down. 888-595-7277. That's 888-595-7277. That's our national line. It's our national line. Reach out and get with us. I want to thank Sekou Kambui for coming on, Dr. Justice for coming on, Chief Ward for coming on and, and, and doing his thing, and you, brothers and sisters, for listening. Get at us. But until then, I leave you as I greet you, and I mean it, out of revolutionary love and sincerity. All powers to oppress people, African power to African people, and black power.